All right, today is the last ser- uh, day of this series, Live Like a King, and this is the final week, and we started with King David, who was anointed as a shepherd boy as the future king of Israel. Today, we are going to pick up at the end of his life. He's on his deathbed, 1 King chapter 2, 1 Kings chapter 2, starting in verse 1. As the time of King's, uh, King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. I am going to where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage and be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. If you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise he made to me. He told me, if your descendants live as they should, and follow me faithfully with all their heart and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. I'm going to stop there. Love the life of King David. It's been so fun to study it. He was a master of many trades. He was a poet, a shepherd. He was an artist, a musician, a singer, a giant slayer, a warrior, a military strategist. He was a mercenary, a politician, a spiritual leader, a prophet, and even a king did a lot of things. He had a lot of great moments, and we've studied these great moments in his life, but he also had a lot of bad moments and made a lot of mistakes. He's definitely not perfect. And we can learn a lot of important lessons from his life, the principles that still apply to us today. But I believe that the most important lesson comes from the end of his life. And so the title of this message is Die Like a King. Die Like a King. I want you to understand that in order to live like a king... You must die like a king. There have been times in my life when I thought I was going to die. Like a couple months ago, I was going to the hospital for some, some chest pain. And I was like, is this it? Is this the end? There have been other, it wasn't, and I'm still here. I'm still, still preaching. Thanks for cheering that I'm not dead. <laughs> and then there's been other times, you know, almost got in a car accident, thought like, oh man, am I going to die? Uh, when I first jumped out of an airplane, the first time I was like, this is probably not smart. Um, I remember when I first went to Iraq and it sunk in, like, I could die. Like, I was a young kid, but it finally hit me. Like, I'm not immortal. I could die. I didn't die. I'm here, uh, and I'm grateful. But there will come a day that I will die, and there will be a day when we all die. And so it's important that we keep the end in mind. By keeping the end in mind, it helps us to live like God would have us to live. And as we've talked about in this series, we are all called to live like kings and queens. We have been made royalty through Jesus, adopted into God's family. I want us to be able to live like royalty. And so we have to think about the end so that we might live like royalty today. King David in verse 1, he's on his deathbed, and it says, As the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. So there, and there's a picture, right? He's now old, he's gray, he's not the muscular warrior he once was. And he's giving a charge to his son Solomon, who would be the next king. You have a picture of the current king and the future king. One's on his way out. One's just getting started. And this brings me to my first point I want to highlight to you. You can't have success without succession. You cannot have success without succession. 
Succession is the act of inheriting a title or an office or property. It's being, uh, the successor is to be the next in line or the heir. Uh, It's to follow someone who has gone before you. David had a son who would be his successor. Uh, You have sons and daughters. Maybe you don't have kids yet, but you even can have spiritual sons and daughters. People who you bring under your wing and mentor and raise up to follow Jesus. So, so you have people who you are raising up, and the people who come after us are going to carry the torch forward, and if we don't bring them along to take over as we eventually all pass away, because that day will come, then nothing that we do right now really matters. So in verse 4, he said, If your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully with all their heart and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. And that's a picture of succession. If you follow me, one of your descendants will always sit on the throne. And my promise that I receive from God will be true for you and fulfilled in your life. Part of our reward as Christians is seeing the next generation continue to be used by God, seeing God continue to bless them and use them, our our sons and daughters, our spiritual sons and daughters, long after we're gone. It's a joy to know that we'll be in heaven, we'll we'll be hanging out with Jesus, eating popcorn, like watching all the young kids now grow up and then bring other people to Jesus. Like, that's gonna be so fun, right? You're gonna be like, he He's doing it. It's so good. I knew she had it in her. So when Paul said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I don't know if you realize this, but he was talking about a relay race. It's not a solo sprint, right? This relay race we are running, any relay racer will tell you, it doesn't matter how fast you run. If you do not successfully pass the baton, nothing you do matters. And we have to successfully pass the baton to the next generation. If we don't do that, if we don't have successors who are following after us, we will not live to our full potential and accomplish on this earth what God has called us to accomplish. At the right time, we have to pass that baton. If we don't pass it off right, we cannot win. We have to raise up the next generation and show them the way to go. How do they learn how to follow God's ways? They have us as an example to follow after. And so we have to think about that. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I have to ask myself as a Christian, we all do, am I living the kind of life that other people can follow? Ask yourself this question. If the people in the church did what I did, would they become more or less like Jesus? If, If the other people in the church followed my example, would we move the mission forward or would we take a step backward? So if I'm going to die like a king, I've got to think about the end. I'm going to live like a king. I'm going to think about the lifestyle I'm living. I'm going to think about my choices. I'm going to think about the example that I'm setting, not who I publicly portray myself to be, but who I really am in private. We all know that like kids see their parents and who they really are in private. It doesn't matter what they say in public, who they really are. That's the example that, that sticks. The next generation will observe us for the long haul. They'll see us choose day in and day out to follow Jesus. They'll see us fail and have to ask God for forgiveness, but then rise again, living in grace. What kind of example are we setting? What kind of example are, are you setting? Who are we going to be? In verse two and in verse three, David said, take courage and be a man. This is a father talking to his son. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. 
As David talks to his successor, he says, be a man. And it just, it hits home for me. It hits, it hits home in a really powerful way as I think the survey we just took in church, all the adults filled out. Uh, we asked you to kind of indicate a couple facts about you. I, here's what I found out. 40% of the regular adult attendance is male and 60% is female. Wow. And that's pretty much average for the nation. But if you know me, you know I'm not okay with being average. That's right. Come on. All right. I want to be above average in every way. And I know that when men lead their families towards God, the family statistically will follow in his footsteps. So we need men of God who will take courage and be men, right? So here's what I'm going to do, something I don't normally do. If you're a man in this church at Mesa or Ahwatukee, I'm going to ask you to stand up. If you're physically able, just stand up. Yeah, that's right. We can cheer for these men. These are good men. So listen, men, I want you to know, this church stands behind you. Right now, we might be a little bit outnumbered as men. And it's not going to stay that way. Because we have a little bit of the cards stacked against us, we got to do more. We got to work harder. We got to serve more. We got to be more generous. We got to be more selfless. We got to pray more. We got to read the Bible more. And we got to do what it takes to raise up the next generation of men. Maybe you didn't have a godly father to give you this charge. So I'm just going to do it on behalf of the Lord, your heavenly father. Take courage and be a man. Follow the Lord in all his ways so that you will be successful in all you do. And we're wherever you go. Society might beat you down. Society might mock you, but this church has your back. Look around the room at the band of brothers that have your back, right? These men are here to build you up and bring out the best in you and have your back. This is a church where men can be men, right? And, and if someone told you that being a Christian was going to be safe and easy, they lied. It's dangerous and it's hard. But it's a risk that we're willing to take because the mission to rescue the lost is worth the cost. Amen. Come on. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you. So here's my question for everyone. Who will succeed you? Who will you pass the baton to? Who are you raising up? It might not be your biological kids or your adopted children. It might be spiritual sons and daughters who you've brought to Christ, who you're mentoring in your life group. Um, if you don't have someone mentoring you, you need to have someone in your life um, who can help you grow. It doesn't matter how old you are, but help you grow closer to the Lord. Be a part of a life group. That's a great place to practice passing the baton. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, it says this, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Endure suffering along with me as good soldiers of Christ Jesus. Here's a picture of passing on the baton. Pass these truths on, men and women. But then there's this awesome uh, marketing tagline here at the end. I, I think it's kind of funny. Come and endure suffering along with me as good soldiers of Christ Jesus. They need a new PR guy, right? But this brings us to another important point. You can't have succession without sacrifice. And there is sacrifice involved in following Jesus. It started with his sacrifice. Every parent knows it's a sacrifice to raise kids, right? You sacrifice in all kinds of ways. You sacrifice sleep. You sacrifice sanity at times. Definitely money. Yeah. 
Like, I didn't even ask for these kids. I'm having to sacrifice for them all the time. A lot of you are like, man, it's a sacrifice, but you know it's, it's going to be worth it, and God will give you the strength to sacrifice spiritually. It's a sacrifice to, to raise up the next generation who will follow us, who will succeed and follow in our steps. And, and so we have to think about that sacrifice and begin, I think, to prepare ourselves for it emotionally and mentally so that we'll be ready. Here's what we have to do. We have to sacrifice what's easy for what's best. We have to be willing to sacrifice what's easy for what's best. As a leader, a lot of times it's easier to do it yourself, right? Yep. Like as a parent, it's easier to do it yourself. But you know, I've got to raise up the next generation. I've got to give other people a chance to lead. And, and they might fail at times. I might have to walk around behind them and clean up their messes. And I could have just done it faster myself. But I've got to sacrifice. It's easier to just keep doing what you've always done. Right, And I know as our church has grown and reached more people, we've had to expand and evolve and, and make room. That's why like, we're doing things like adding services. It would be easier to not add services. It'd be easier on my throat. It'd be easier on all the volunteers. we just <laughs> shut the doors in the AM and be like, sorry, no room in the inn. It's all full. But it's worth the sacrifice yeah. to say, yeah. we're going to make room. We have to sacrifice preferences for their sake, right? We have to oftentimes adapt as the culture changes because as Christians, we're called to be missionaries to our culture. We're supposed to be separate from the world, but also in the world. And so we have to be missionaries to our culture and adapt to the culture. Uh, That means that as Christians, there's going to come a day when the next generation's coming up behind us. To reach them, we're going to probably have to sing worship songs that we don't like as much as the ones we grew up singing, right? You'll be like, what is this noise? But that's all right. Like in my house, I can listen to whatever worship music I want. I can praise God however I like. And and it's worth the sacrifice. It's worth to adapt. We've got to sacrifice financially for future opportunity. And every generation of Christians who've ever followed Jesus have made financial sacrifices for the sake of the gospel to go forward. And, And it is a sacrifice. We've got to sacrifice short-term security for long-term success. Anytime we raise up young people and give them opportunities to lead, it's a risk, right? It is a risk. Let's just be honest. It'd be safer to let the more experienced just kind of keep doing it, but but it's worth the risk. It's worth the risk to raise up young people. And, and I watched my parents um, take a risk giving me opportunities to lead as a young guy. And, and God blessed that risk. Unfortunately, they were here to, to give wisdom and guidance. And there were people in our church back in the day when my dad passed the baton to me who were like, what's he doing? He's crazy. <laughs> but God blessed it. It was worth the risk. Those who follow you are your legacy. And this church only exists because of the sacrifice of the previous generation. Their selfless sacrifice has allowed others to come to know Jesus. And that's succession. That's us reaching the next generation. And it honors God. So here's a question. Are you willing to sacrifice so that people far from God can experience new life in Jesus? That's great. You have to think about it. You have to process that in advance. Here's the next thing. You can't have success without obedience. You can't have success without obedience. Uh, People really like life hacks today. Have you heard of life hacks? There's all kinds of good stuff on the internet. It's like tricks and tips 
that allow you to do things more quickly or efficiently. So like one of the ones I really like right now, I just learned this life hack. If you take an empty water bottle and squeeze it a little bit, you can suck the egg yolk right up out of a bowl. It's like, great, you gotta try this. Look it up on YouTube, it's awesome. And I think a lot of times people come to church and they're looking for the pastor to give them spiritual life hacks, you know, practical life hacks. And so here I've got the best, I would call it the ultimate life hack. Blessing follows obedience. I don't know if that's as sexy as you were hoping for, but it's true, right? When you obey God's commands, when you follow his ways, when you hold on to his decrees, he said you will be, in verse 3, successful in all you do and wherever you go. Right? This is a so that church. Why should I obey God? So that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. Like this promise is still true for us today. We know if, if maybe you don't know, maybe you're new to church, we're not saved because we obey God's commands. We're saved by God's grace. Jesus perfectly obeyed all of God's commands and did what we couldn't do. Now we're saved by trusting Jesus. But the promise is still true for you. When you obey his commands, when you follow his ways, God blesses you and you will be successful. You'll experience his supernatural favor in your life. So this is true. This is important for us. You can still get ahead by the world's standards and accumulate wealth and, and accumulate power and get fame and get followers, but that doesn't do you a lot of good when we're looking at eternity. So we need to know how to be spiritually successful, successful according to God's standard. So here's some of the things I want you to see from the end of David's life that really show us some valuable truth. The end of David's life, he's laying in his deathbed, he's talking to his son Solomon, and he starts to issue a hit list. You heard me right. Sounds like we just started an episode of The Godfather. But read along with me, verse 5. And there is something else. You know what Joab, son of Zeruiah, did to me? I don't even know how to pronounce that word. Uh, when he murdered my two army commanders, do with him what you think best, but don't let him grow old and go to his grave in peace. Wow. Verse 8 and 9. And remember, Shimea, he cursed me with a terrible curse. You are a wise man, and you will know how to arrange a bloody death for him. <laughs> I love how everybody's grimacing, right? Like, the Bible gets intense sometimes, you know? It's like rated R. Here is King David turned into Don Corleone, hit, hit list time. And this highlights an important principle, I think, for all of us, the end of his life. We need to keep this in mind, that all evil will be punished. These were people who did evil, who did wrong. And so now we see that David's on his way out, but he's not going to go out before he makes things right. And we need to know that ultimately God will punish all evil. This is real. It is real. Um, it's what, here's what it says in Revelation 20, verse 15. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, so there are some churches today, there are some pastors who will tell you that hell is not real. And that's a lie. That is a lie that comes from Satan. Satan wants you to believe that hell is not real because he wants to get you to go there with him. There is a real hell, and all evil will be punished. And the thing is this, you can either be punished for your sins, or you can allow Jesus to have been punished for your sins. 
And we should pray. We should all pray that all sinners will experience for forgiveness, experience forgiveness through Jesus and salvation like we have. But the reality is that if they don't, if they choose to reject God, they will be punished in hell. And so it's, it's serious. And that's why when we give people an opportunity to accept Jesus, I, I encourage them and I plead with them. And I, if you're here today and you need to, I plead with you, don't wait. Do not wait. You never know when your time is going to come. And if you're not right with God, if your name is not written in the book of life, it's too late. And so that's why I would say when you place your faith in Jesus, your name does get written in the book of life and you have confidence and security knowing I'm forgiven and my eternal destination is not hell, but rather it's being in heaven with God. And that is so much better. It's an easy choice to make, but yet so many people don't make the right choice. They reject God. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why? But it's important to keep the end in mind. It helps us to put things in perspective. All right, here's the next thing I want you to understand. Verse 7. He says, be kind to the sons of Barzillai of Gilead. Make them permanent guests at your table, for they took care of me when I fled from your brother Absalom. So here he was getting even, but now he's getting even in a good way. And these guys took care of him, and they, they helped him out. And here he is on his deathbed as king, and he's like, oh, yeah, make sure you're good to those guys because they hooked me up. They took care of me when I was going through a difficult time. This is another important life lesson. All goodness will be rewarded. It might take a little while, but you will be rewarded for all of the good that you do in this life. I know a lot of moms are doing good for their kids, and they know, like, I'm not getting any payoff for, like, 20 years at least. I'm sacrificing for what's going to come in 20 years, I hope. And maybe as a follower of Jesus, you'll do good and no one will see it. And I know that can be frustrating at times because, you know, if there's no pictures, it's like it didn't happen. You're like, why am I even doing this? There's no one here to Instagram this moment. But God sees and he's keeping a record and he will reward you for all the good that you do, whether people give you reward or not. Some good will come, some reward will come, uh, rather, in your life, but uh, some won't come until, until the next life. But we need to keep that in mind. Um, in Galatians 6, verse 9, it says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Right? So there might be a delay between when you do good and when you get the reward, but don't get tired. Don't give up because the day will come at just the right time. You will receive a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. So we should do good whenever it's said we get the opportunity to others, but especially, I love that it said that, especially the church family, your brothers and sisters in faith, your church family and other churches, your brothers and sisters in Christ, even if they go to another church, we should do good to them. And you will be rewarded. So keep, keep heart. There might be a delay, but you will be rewarded. And I want to ask you this, because we're talking about success and obedience. What step of obedience might you need to take today? Maybe God has led you to do something to follow him in some way, and you've been delaying. Maybe there's been excuses. Maybe he's told you to stop doing something, and you've been acting like you can't hear him. And so I'm just asking as a pastor, like, what is the step of obedience you need to take today in order to experience God's success in your life? We want you to be successful in all that you do and wherever you go. So David was a great guy. He had a lot of great moments, but he did not always follow God's ways. And yet, this is so important, he was still called a man after God's own heart. Yeah. 
This is powerful and, and honestly, it's mind-blowing. You probably heard a lot of his great moments. You heard about him killing Goliath and winning battles, but I don't know if maybe you know about some of the crazy things that he did, his blunders. He killed and mutilated 200 Philistines. He lied to a priest about eating holy bread, and this caused 85 priests and their families to be killed. He pretended he was crazy to get out of trouble. He killed Amalekite women and children. He disobeyed God's commands about how the Ark of the Covenant should be transported, and people died. He had an affair, and when he got Bathsheba pregnant, he killed her husband to cover up the affair. He did not punish his son, who was a rapist. He did not punish his other son, Absalom, who murdered the first son. And then on his deathbed, he was issuing a hit list. This guy has some issues, right? And yet he is called a man after God's own heart? How does this happen? This brings me to my last important point. Trust is more important than track record. At the end of David's life, he had a track record of good and bad. But yet he was called a man after God's own heart because he trusted God. Maybe you didn't know this, but his biggest blunder came at the end of his life. This is something I think a lot of Christians haven't read about, so this might surprise you. At the end of his life, he decided to take a census, and he wanted a count of all the soldiers under his command. So he had them counted. There was one and a half million soldiers in Israel and Judah under his command. But then the Bible says that his conscience started to bother him. And so he called out to God, Lord, I have sinned. Forgive me for this foolish thing I have done. So maybe you hear that and you're like, well, why is that a sin? Well, I don't know. Maybe because it was prideful in some way that he wanted to know how much military might was at his disposal. But whatever reason, uh, we know it was a sin. And he cried out to God, forgive me for what I have done. And God decided that David would be punished for what he had done. And he gave him a choice what kind of punishment he would receive. That's like Crazy. It's like your parents sending you out to cut your own switch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that is heavy. And so he gave him three choices. You can have three years of famine, three months of destruction by the sword of your enemies, or three days of severe plague delivered by the angel of the Lord. In 1 Chronicles 21, 13, he said, I am in a desperate situation, but let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is very great. Do not let me fall into human hands. And so he, he chose the plague. And as a result of his choice, 70,000 people died in three days. Right? Like this isn't a Sunday school story you heard when you were 12 years old, right? And so then as the angel of the Lord was above Jerusalem and about to bring more destruction, it says in 1 Chronicles 21, verse 17, And David said to God, I am the one who called for the census I am the one who has sinned and done wrong. But these people are as innocent as sheep. What have they done? Oh, Lord, my God, let your anger fall against me and my family, but do not destroy your people. And so God heard his cry. He told David to build an altar. David went and purchased land, built an altar, made sacrifice to bring forgiveness for his sins, because in those days there had to be sacrifice to bring forgiveness. God, he forgave him. He told the angel of the Lord to end the destruction. And we learned some really crazy lessons in this moment of tragedy, that David, he was not perfect. Far from it, his sins were real, but he also had real trust in God and a real love for God. So through all his journey, his, his ups and his downs, his successes and his failures, he died loving God and being loved by God. 
And so maybe you're listening to this message, you're still like, Pastor Ryan, why are you trying to get me to die like a king? What, what is the point of this? It seems kind of negative. See, I want you to understand that to die like a king allows you to live like a king. David knew that when he died, he would live. When he lost his infant son earlier in his life, he said, I can't bring him back, but soon I will go to him. He knew, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live. He had a track record of mistakes, but he was able to say, like in Psalm 23, verse, 16, uh, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's in Psalm 23, verse 6. He said this because he knew that I will live even after I die. God will be good to me. Mercy will follow me. And when I do die, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So church, I need you to understand, if you're willing to die like a king, you will live like a king. In Matthew 16, verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it, but if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So here's the takeaway from that. We have all sinned and done wrong. We are just as big of sinners as David. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and, and guess that you probably haven't done anything that caused 70,000 people to die. And some, someone came to church today just to hear that, and they're feeling better about themselves already. <laughs> I'm not doing so bad, Right? But in God's eyes, this sin equally disqualifies us from entering into heaven and being forgiven. So we're just as big of sinners as David. We all deserve punishment, just like he deserved. But God did not want us to be destroyed. He didn't want us to be destroyed because he did not view his creation as successful without our succession. He wanted us to follow. He wanted us to be able to live and experience the goodness that he gave through Jesus. And so in other, in other words, in order to spare us, he allowed us to be forgiven by, by sending Jesus, his son, his only son, to be sacrificed. He built an altar called the cross, and he allowed his son to die in our place for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could be forgiven. He had to sacrifice his son. Remember, you can't have succession without sacrifice. That allows us to be adopted into his family as sons and daughters. Jesus said, if you'll follow me, if you'll trust me, you can have eternal life. And, and we know that when we obey, it brings success in every way. And there's no greater success than eternal life that comes through Jesus. So if we're willing to trust Jesus and follow him, placing all of our hope in him to save us by grace, we know we will succeed him. We will become co-heirs with Christ and inherit the title, the treasure, the reward that Jesus has earned on our behalf. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But Jesus said we've got to be willing to die to ourselves, to die to ourselves so that we can live for him. David's kingdom is a shadow of the greater kingdom that Jesus will establish. So all the faults of, of David Right, we see them, we don't paint over them, we acknowledge them, they're right there in the Bible. He was not perfect. They point us to a greater king who will come, named Jesus, who is perfect, who will rule with perfect love and justice for all eternity. And we know that Jesus' death foreshadowed a death that we would all experience, but his resurrection also gives us hope. Yeah. Hope that when we die, we won't really die. Right. 
In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, it says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. That's us, those of us who die in Jesus. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, in other words, we're human, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Just as Jesus rose and lived again, we will rise and live again. If we die to ourselves, if we die to ourselves and take up our cross and follow him, you might have a track record of mistakes. You might have hurt people and you will hurt people and make mistakes in the day to come. But trust in Jesus is more important than track record. If you're willing to follow him, no matter what you've done, you will be made royalty, adopted into God's family with the promise of eternal life. If you pick up your cross, if you're willing to die like a king, you will live like a king. Here's what Jesus said in John 11. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live. Even after dying, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this? And that's the question I want to ask you today. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that trust in Jesus alone brings salvation and eternal life? It's the most important decision you'll ever make. Do I believe that or do I not believe it? Will I follow Jesus or will I reject Jesus? It's our choice. God gives us free will and allows us to choose. But I hope, I hope that we'll all choose to follow his ways and experience success in everything that we do and everywhere that we go in this life and in the life to come. If you're willing to die like a king, you will live like a king for all eternity. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness and your love. Thank you for your mercy, Lord, and for showing us that we can trust in your unfailing love and mercy no matter what we've done or, or where we've gone, Lord. We know that you're good to us and you love us and you bring forgiveness. And so, God, today I just want to give a moment for those who need to accept you to take that step of faith. And if you're here today, if you're at Mesa, if you're in Ahwatukee, if you're watching online and you need to take a step of faith and place your trust in Jesus, and today's your day. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life, the decision to follow Jesus. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. By simply believing, you're saved. It sounds too good to be true, but God is better than anything you could have ever hoped for, and Jesus is more loving than anyone you've ever met. It's a gift that he offers us. He willingly laid down his life to pay the price for our sins as a sacrifice so that we could be saved. And we've got to decide, am I going to receive that gift or reject it? Maybe you're here today and you need to receive that gift and you know I want to receive it. I want to have my name written in the book of life and know that eternal life is mine. I want to be adopted into God's family and receive the reward that he has for me. I've tried other things and I know it doesn't work. If that's you, then I'm just going to lead you in a prayer that expresses this decision. Um, so just pray this prayer with me. Just say, God, I know I've sinned and I need your forgiveness, but I trust that Jesus died in my place on the cross, that he paid the price I deserve to pay so that I could be forgiven. And I believe that he rose again so that I could have eternal life and live forever with you. So God, I'm putting all my trust in you and I wanna follow your ways from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet in both locations. 
God is so good, amen? Hey, anyone who just prayed that prayer, I wanna celebrate with you. It's the most important decision you've ever made, so it's worth celebrating. So on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you just to shoot your hand up in the air. Not gonna do anything to you or embarrass you, but we're gonna celebrate with you. One, God loves you. Two, get ready to throw your hand up. Welcome to the family. Three, just shoot it up. If that's you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, and our Tuki, awesome. Thank you, so good. God is so good, right, church? Man, let us never forget all that he's done for us, how he rescued us from death. And when we think about that, when we process it, man, the result is it just stirs something up inside of us. We know we just gotta give him praise, amen? Come on, let's do that right now. Let's praise his name. <laughs> 